Chapter Seventeen of the Film of Fear by Arnold Fredericks. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen. Duval, on his arrival with Mrs. Morton at her apartment, lost no time in finding out from the clerk just what had happened. The story, pieced together, confirmed his worst suspicions. The woman, after escaping from the house at 162 West 57th Street, had gone at once to Ruth's hotel, followed by Grace. Here she had interviewed Mrs. Morton, represented herself as Grace Duval, and induced Mrs. Morton to leave the hotel by giving her a fictitious message purporting to be from himself. Returning later to the hotel, she had gone to Ruth Morton's room and attacked her. The nature of that attack, the effect upon the girl, were as yet uncertain. Ruth Morton was still unconscious. Meanwhile, as he learned from the clerk, Grace had received a telephone message and hurriedly left the hotel. The clerk did not know from whom the message had come. Duval went to Ruth Morton's bedroom and called the doctor aside. What is the exact nature of Miss Morton's injuries? he asked she has no injuries at least in the sense i think you mean she is suffering solely from the effects of shock what sort of shock i do not know of course fright of some sort terrible fright i should say i am informed that some woman some enemy of hers came to this room and was alone with her there is no evidence of any violence none whatever but the effects of shock are often worse than those of actual physical violence. They have frequently been known to cause death. You do not, I hope, anticipate anything of the sort in this case. I cannot say. The doctor shook his head. She must have been very weak. Her system is responding very slowly. Duval glanced over to where Mrs. Morton hung in agonized silence over her daughter's bed then went out into the sitting-room. It seemed to him well-nigh incredible that the woman responsible for all this had been able to move about, to elude pursuit, to carry out her threats, apparently without the least hesitation or fear of capture. His professional pride had received severe shock. Two means of finding the woman, he felt, were still open to him, one was to trace her through Miss Ford. He did not doubt that, after what he had said to the latter, she would make an immediate attempt to warn her confederate of the danger that threatened her. Of course, the Ford girl might communicate with her companion by telephone, in which event the tracing would be difficult, if not impossible. The other hope of tracing the woman lay in grace. Why had she left the hotel so suddenly? He did not, of course, know the source of the telephone message, and could only surmise that Grace had, in some way, been able to pick up the woman's trail. Leaving Mrs. Morton with a few words of encouragement, he made his way to his hotel. There was no news there of Grace, however, and he realized that it was now too late to accomplish anything by returning to the house on 57th Street. Marcia Ford would either have long since retired, or else would have left the house to communicate with the woman who had been with her earlier in the evening. Considerably upset by the events of the past three hours, 
duval retired to his room and sat down to think the whole matter over proceeding on the assumption that the woman in question and miss ford were acting together all the events at the studio the fake telegram the missing photograph became intelligible but the delivery of the letters in ruth morton's apartment the strange attack upon him while searching the ford girl's room were by no means so clear once more his thoughts reverted to the attic room the roof of the adjoining house the problem of effecting an entrance to the morton apartment through either of the two windows and then as he revolved the problem in his mind a sudden light came to him he sprang from his chair with an exclamation of satisfaction a solution of the whole matter flashed through his brain a solution at once so simple and so ingenious that he wondered he had not thought of it before he glanced at his watch it was midnight too late perhaps to test the accuracy of his deductions nor did he feel at all easy in his mind regarding grace something must have happened to her he feared to keep her out so late with no word to him concerning her movements he went to the phone and calling up the office inquired whether anything had been heard of mrs duval no the night clerk informed him mrs duval had not been heard from nor had she sent any message but a note had just been left for her he would send it up duval awaited the arrival of the note with the utmost impatience a message for grace from whom what could it mean a few moments later one of the bell-boys thrust into his hand a letter written on the note-paper of the hotel he regarded the scrawling and ill-written superscription with apprehension then tore open the envelope and proceeded to read the contents of the note dear madame it said i waited till nearly midnight when you did not come i thought you must have gone out some other way so came back to the hotel i hope i did right respectfully yours martin leary duval stared at the words before him with a look of alarm who was martin leary and where had he waited for grace until nearly midnight and above all why had she not returned had some accident some danger befallen her the circumstances made it seem highly probable there was but one thing to do to question the night clerk and find out if possible who leary was he rushed to the elevator and made his way to the lobby with all speed who left this note for mrs duval he asked of the clerk why the man paused for a moment one of the cabmen i believe is his name leary martin leary yes it was leary come to think of it nothing wrong i hope mr duval i'll know later where is leary now couldn't say sir you might ask the cab starter almost before the clerk had finished speaking duval had darted across the lobby and made his way to the taxicab office at the door do you know a chauffeur named martin leary exclaimed duval yes sir one of our regular men sir where is he the starter glanced along the row of taxicabs he's turned in for the night sir left for the garage some time ago 
He's been on duty since early this morning. Where's the garage? On Lexington Avenue, sir, near 30th Street. Does Leary sleep there? No, sir. I don't think so, sir. They would know at the garage, I guess. Very well. Get me a cab. I want to be taken there at once. The starter called to one of the drivers, and a few moments later Duval was being driven at a rapid rate toward the garage. His inquiries on his arrival there developed the fact that Leary had left for his home on Second Avenue some little time before. Duval secured the address and once more set out. He felt greatly alarmed at Grace's failure to put in an appearance. Something must have happened to her. Clearly the case was going very much against him. The woman's second escape, the attack on Ruth Morton, now the disappearance of Grace. He felt that the time had come for action of a quick and drastic nature. Leary lived with his wife and two children on the third floor of a Second Avenue tenement. Hastily climbing the two flights of dark steps, Duval rapped on the door. He was overjoyed when it was opened by a man whom he judged to be the chauffeur himself. "'Are you Martin Leary?' he asked. "'Yes, sir.' The man wiped his mouth with the back of his hand, choking down a bit of cold supper he had been eating before turning in. "'I am Richard Duval. You drove my wife uptown somewhere, did you not?' "'Yes, sir. To Columbus Avenue and 96th Street, sir. Won't you come in?' "'I want you to put on your coat and come along with me. Mrs. Duval has not returned, and I am afraid something has happened to her.' The man turned and called to someone inside the flat. "'Give me my hand, coat, Kitty,' he said, then turned again to Duval. "'I suppose I should have waited, sir, but after two hours went by, I made up my mind that Mrs. Duval didn't need me any longer.' "'What is the building at Columbus Avenue and 96th Street?' Duval asked as the man, pulling on the coat his wife handed him, strode down the hall. "'An apartment building, sir.' And why did Mrs. Duval go there? Well, sir, we was following a woman, sir. She went to a hotel on 72nd Street, and Mrs. Duval told me to watch for her. I did, and tracked her to the place at 96th Street. Then I telephoned Mrs. Duval to come, and she did. What time was that? About half past nine, sir. All right, go on. Mrs. Duval came, sir, in another taxi. I pointed out the place where the woman went in, and Mrs. Duval went in after her. She didn't say I was to wait, but I guess she expected me to, because she had sent the other cab away. I waited over two hours, and then, when she didn't come out, I suppose she had returned to the hotel, so I came back, too. She wasn't there, though. That's why I left the note. How do you think Mrs. Duval could have gotten back to her hotel, if you were watching the door of the apartment house all the time? I wasn't watching it all the time, sir. I went into the drugstore once, sir, and got a cigar, and then later on I went to a saloon, a piece down the avenue, and got a glass of beer. Mrs. Duval didn't say I was to watch the place, sir. I thought when she got through what she had to do, she would come back to the cab, but she didn't. Do you think I ought to have waited, sir? The man seemed greatly distressed. No use talking about that now, Duval remarked shortly. 
I want to drive there at once. Get on the box with the chauffeur and point out the place to him. A moment later they had started on their way uptown. Knowing, as he did, Grace's impetuous nature, Duval could only conclude that her pursuit of the woman had led her into some trap. What danger she might at this moment be facing, he could only surmise. The apartment building, when they finally reached it, presented a grim and forbidding appearance. Not a light broke the darkness of any of its windows. The drug store on the opposite corner, too, was closed for the night. The whole locality was dark and silent. There's the place, sir, Leary exclaimed as they drew up to the corner. Tell the driver to stop a few doors up the block, not right in front of the building. Leary nodded. Presently the cab stopped, and he and Duval got out. The detective's first move was to ascertain whether or not the building had any rear exit, by which Grace might have left, without being seen by Leary. He walked down the avenue to its rear wall, only to find that it abutted against the wall of the next building. There was no rear entrance. If, then, Grace had not left the place during the past hour, she must still be in one of the ten flats that formed the five floors of the building. But which one? That, apparently, was the problem he had to solve. It would be useless, he felt, to inquire at the doors of the various apartments at this hour of the morning. Admission, at least on the part of those he sought, would certainly be refused. Yet he felt that there was no time to be lost. Stationing Leary before the front door with instructions to keep a careful watch, Duval went into the vestibule, and by means of his pocket light inspected the names of the occupants of the building, as Grace had done a short time before. The hallway inside was dark, with the exception of a dim light at the foot of the stairs. Apparently the place boasted no elevator or hall-boy service. The ten names on the boxes in the vestibule meant nothing to him. How was it possible to determine which one was that of the woman he sought? Weinberg, Scully, Martin, Stone. He ran down the list, trying to find some distinguishing mark, some clue that would guide him. Suddenly he paused, allowing the light from his torch to rest upon the card bearing the name of one of the tenants on the fourth floor. This card had attracted his attention because it was different from any of the others in the two racks. They were either engraved or printed visiting cards, stuck inside the brass frames provided for them, or the names were written or printed by hand upon blank cards. But this card, bearing simply the inscription E. W. Norman, was neither engraved nor printed, nor written by hand. On the contrary, it was typewritten. This in itself at once attracted Duval's attention owing to the fact that the various letters received by Ruth Morton had also all been typewritten. If the name, Norman, was an assumed one, as Duval concluded it to be, what more natural, then, that it should be typewritten on a blank card, especially when a regular printed or engraved card was not available? 
when to have it written in longhand would have been a disclosure of identity and when above all the woman in question possessed and knew how to operate a typewriter there was more than this however about the name on the card to convince duval that e w norman was the woman he sought he recalled with distinctness the two salient features of the typewriting in all the letters sent to miss morton the misplaced a and the broken lower right-hand corner of the capital w he looked closely at the two letters in the name before him the a was misplaced the w minus its lower right-hand corner the evidence seemed to be complete the next thing to be considered was how could he first obtain entrance to the apartment building and subsequently to the flat of the woman posing as e w norman were he to ring the latter's bell he felt quite sure she would not respond by unfastening the front door but she would on the contrary be warned and even if unable to escape might destroy the evidence he hoped to find in her possession on the other hand to ring the bell of one of the other apartments might result in the unlatching of the front door but might involve explanations difficult in the circumstances to make there was no help for it however duval pressed the bell belonging to the family named scully it was a long time before there was any response duval had almost begun to despair of getting one when he heard the clicking of the electric latch and found that he could turn the knob and enter the hallway he had barely done so when a big burly-looking man who might have been a bartender or a head-waiter appeared in the door of one of the ground-floor apartments clad only in his night-clothes well what you want he growled duval stepped up to him quickly and spoke in a pleasant voice i'm mighty sorry he said i rang your bell by mistake uh, pardon me the man glared at him suspicion blazing from his eyes that's an old one he retorted how do i know you ain't a burglar do i look like one duval asked the man ignored this question rang my bell by mistake did you who do you want to see i have some business with a lady on the fourth floor he went closer to the man and lowered his voice i am a detective my friend he whispered confidentially i'm here on a very important case the big man's eyes widened the hell you are he exclaimed central office no uh, private hmm the man nodded slowly all right but i guess i'll keep my eye on you just the same he leaned against the door jamb and watched duval as he ascended the stairs the detective reached the fourth floor at top speed he was panting when he arrived opposite the door of the apartment he sought once there he paused for a moment listening intently not a sound came from the interior of the flat the problem of obtaining access to the place now confronted him the door was of oak of stout construction he doubted his ability to break it in nor did he wish to attempt to do so if it could be avoided 
breaking into private apartments without a warrant was a serious matter. There was a chance that this might not be the right place, after all. He hesitated. Yet Grace might be within, in danger, perhaps, of her life. It was imperative that he should find out the truth at once. Stepping up to the door, he knocked sharply upon it, then waited for a reply. He scarcely expected one, but felt that he should at least give the persons within a chance. A long silence ensued. Duval was about to rap again when, to his amazement, the door slowly and noiselessly swung inward, as though impelled by some unseen hand. The room beyond was shrouded in darkness. Duval could see no one. Whoever had opened the door must now be concealed behind it. No one either greeted or challenged him. The door swung three quarters open and stood still. Not a sound was to be heard. The room was as silent as a tomb. Duval stood on the threshold for a few seconds, listening intently. He was greatly astonished by what had occurred. Why had the door been so silently opened? Was someone waiting within, ready to attack him the moment he made a step forward? Whether this was the case or not, nothing, he reflected, was to be gained by remaining where he was. Drawing an automatic pistol from his pocket, he held it in readiness in his right hand. Then, raising his left arm, he flung his entire weight against the partly opened door. The door yielded to his attack. Then there came a dull thud, as though some heavy body had fallen to the floor, and immediately after the hallway resounded with a series of unearthly screams. Duval still moved forward. Then, to his utter surprise, there appeared in the darkness a grotesque figure, which immediately hurled itself upon him and began to clutch frantically at his throat. End of chapter 17